There's a lot to go through in Daniel chapter 2. Prophecy of basically the history from Babylon, the Babylonian captivity, to the end times, to the millennial kingdom when Jesus comes back and reigns for a thousand years. Uh, So Daniel chapter 2. Let me pray. Lord, I just pray that you would speak today, that your word would be spoken, and that your truth would be known in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 2. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. So here we see that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and his spirit was so troubled that he could not sleep. Have you ever had times when you're just troubled, right? And you can't sleep. And you think of all, all the ways to, that people try and sleep these days because they're anxious and they're troubled. Sleeping pills, all that. But really the best way is to pray and to give your anxiousness and anxiety to the Lord. And you won't need to pop the pills to sleep, you know? Um, I know there's seasons in life and gosh, I've had them where you just can't sleep and you're just troubled and you just keep trying to give it to the Lord. And so here we have King Nebuchadnezzar who is troubled because of his dream. And we know that it was God who gave him the dream because of the interpretation that comes. So Nebuchadnezzar, he calls for all the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans. So a Chaldean is basically a group of people in the Southern region of Mesopotamia, also known as just the Babylonians. Right, uh, but then they were also referred to as a Babylonian wise man or magician. So um, this necessarily doesn't just mean the Chaldeans that were a people group, but basically the Chaldeans in Babylon that were the learned ones or ones that were wise. So he calls all the wise men, the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and he asked them to interpret 
the dream that he has, and none of them can do it. And then you see in verse 7, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. But the king answered in verse 8 and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. So Nebuchadnezzar has wisdom in not telling these false people who say they can interpret the dream and tell the future. And we have many, much of that going on today. There are people that want to know, oh, what does my life hold? So they'll go to tarot cards or they'll go to uh, psychics and they'll go to astrology and they'll go to all these other things except God. But the truth is, those things, though there may be some truth in it, it's a demonic influence. So Satan does not know the future, right? He doesn't know what's going to happen in your life tomorrow. He doesn't know what's going to happen in a year or so, but God does. So none of these people who are influenced by the evil one can tell him what his dream was, right? And none of them can give the interpretation. So through wisdom, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, it's possible that he could have seen how false they were and said, hey, I'm not telling you the dream. If you want, if you can really give me the real interpretation, you can also tell me what my dream was. So he does that. And uh, in verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Remember, Daniel's com companions are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are the, their new Babylonian names. Remember that part of the brainwashing process of those who got exiled to Babylon was to give them new names that had to do with the Babylonian gods. Um, so... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was their new Babylonian name. And we, we went over that last week, what they mean and what their original Hebrew names had meant. So here in verse 14, then with counsel and wisdom, isn't that cool? I love that. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch. So we know that God had given Daniel and his companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wisdom from the one true God. And they, they had understanding 10 times more than all the other wise men, as we saw in chapter one. So he answers with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. 
He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. So here's the only one that comes to the king and says that he can do it. Verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which were the original names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions. Verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So you see the first step of Daniel is to go to God. He doesn't try and figure it out on his own. And that is such a good application for us. When we have troubles or things that we want to figure out, something that may be unknown in our lives or in somebody else's life, the best way to go about it is to go to God first and not try and figure it out ourselves. Because many times we might just try and figure it out. Oh, no, this thing's happening. I got to figure this out. But if we go to God and wait on him, Wait for his answer, and he will give you the best way to deal with whatever's ahead or whatever's happening, or even accomplish the big task that might be in front of you. He will give you what you need. Verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So we see that God reveals it, and Daniel, his first thing is to bless the God of heaven and give God the credit. Daniel answered and said, I love what he says here. He says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. This basically sums up the book of Daniel, which explains and gives a picture of how God is in control of kings. He's in control of times. He's in control of seasons. And he's the one that raises kings up, and he's the one that removes kings. Just like today, he's the one who raises up presidents or kings or rulers in the world, whether they're good or bad, and he's the one who removes them. We don't need to worry. We can trust that he knows what he's doing. In this crazy time where gas just raised almost a dollar in less than a week, right? I remember we were, Shelby and I were talking, I filled my truck up at, I think it was 460 something. And now it's like five, what? 550? So, you know, we know that it's because of our current president and his decisions that he's made in shutting things down and the inflation that he's caused. We know it's that, but we know that God is in control. And as much as we would like to say like, what are you doing and fight for it? Like, what can we do really? 
we can pray and we can just pray that God will provide what we need in it. But there's really, it seems like there's nothing we can do. But the great thing about America is he's only got four years, right? I love how he removes kings, he raises them up, and he gives wisdom to the wise. So if you want wisdom, ask God for it. God will reveal those things that other people don't see naturally. And God has given different gifts to different people. He's given discernment and wisdom and understanding and things that the natural man cannot understand or see. Kind of just goes over their head. Um, So verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. Isn't that cool that the only one who could interpret was from Judah, was from Israel? That's amazing. God, though God allowed Israel to go into captivity for 70 years, he still used a man from Israel to be God's mouthpiece to the Gentile nation and to the Jewish nation, which was Daniel. So cool. So here we have a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. Verse 26. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret, I love what he says, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. Isn't that cool? Straight up, he just says, these people can't do it, but there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Verse 29, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than any living but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. 
The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. So you have this image and it's an image of a statue, right? And its head is of gold and its chest and arms of silver and its belly or its middle and thighs of bronze and its legs of iron and then its feet of iron and clay. Real top of you, right? <laughs> and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And we're going to go over what this means, but he's going to interpret it first. So, verse 36, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. Don't you love how sure he is? Daniel just knows that God revealed it. Verse 37, you, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of man dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. But after you shall rise but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. fragile. As you saw iron, Mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in these days of the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever." Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. So Daniel is certain and, and he is sure have you ever had a time where God spoke to you and you knew it was going to happen? I can tell you there's been many times that God has spoken to me and it's like you just know it's sure. It's going to happen. Bam. That's it. There's no arguments. And then it ends up happening. It's so cool. Like God can speak so sure that there's like you can't even come up with an argument. He speaks and you just know it. 
it's sure. And it's, it's as if it's done. So God did that for Daniel. And here he interpreted the dream. He first gave the dream, which nobody had given to him except God. And then he interpreted it. <coughs> Excuse me. So what does this dream actually mean? So this statue is a picture and prophecy of five empires that would rule over Israel, starting with the Babylonian Gentile rule over Israel at that time. Okay, so he gives five different empires. Four of them have already happened, and that's why you have critics who have tried to explain away the book of Daniel and say that it was written after Jesus, during uh, the between Jesus and 70 AD when the Romans uh, destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. So, but there's evidence that there's no way the book of Daniel could have been written by then because it's also in the Septuagint. And it's said that when Alexander the Great, we kind of went over this, I think in the introduction, but when Alexander the Great came to conquer Jerusalem and um, the temple, the priest had come out and showed Alexander the Great the book of Daniel and said, hey, look, you are spoken about here in the book of Daniel. And Alexander the Great thought it was so amazing that he didn't destroy, he, he didn't conquer, he just kept moving. So anyways, Alexander the Great actually is the third one in this picture. So we'll start with the head of gold, the top. So each metal starting from the head down was more inferior or had lower value or quality, right? So you start with gold, the highest quality, and then silver, and then bronze, and then iron, and then iron and clay. So each one got less in less in value doesn't necessarily mean it was less strong, but it had less value. So the head of gold represents the Babylonian empire. So this was an absolute monarchy that had a greater effect on the known world more than any other empire. It was valuable and represented by gold in the dream. So this is King Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian empire, which represents the head of gold. <clears throat> then the next one is the chest and arms of silver, which if you see, there's two arms of silver where the, this is the Medo-Persian empire. They were two different empires who came and ruled. So they had conquered the, ba they had conquered the Babylonian empire together in 539 BC. So they were inferior to Babylon and they were known as a constitutional monarchy. So it wasn't just the one man ruling where uh, it was represented by gold, but it was a man ruling, but they were under constitution. So they couldn't go outside of that. So that's the chest and arms. It's the Medo-Persian empire from 539 BC to around 334 or 330 BC. Then you have the middle and thighs of bronze or the belly and the thighs of bronze, which is the Greek empire or the Grecian empire. And this was Alexander the Great 
who conquered the Medo-Persians between 334 and 330 BC. And this was an oligarchy, so it's a form of power with a small group of high people that exercise their power either through wealth or their military power. So that's an example of communist or totalitarianism or a totalitarian rule of government, which we see a lot today, right? You see like the wealthy people trying to dominate and control and almost bring it towards a communist way of government again. Then you have, oh, okay, let's go back. So Alexander the Great, it said that when he saw there were no more lands to conquer that he wept. So he was so big on just conquering and conquering, and just taking and taking that when he saw that there was really no more to conquer, he started crying because he couldn't conquer anymore. But then he died shortly after at the age of 32. He died at 32 years of age, possibly from pneumonia or malaria or poison. There's many causes that people come up with, so we can't say we don't exactly know, but he died and it was God's appointing to, for him to die. And see you later, Alexander the Great at 32. <laughs> It's amazing how much you can do in life and conquer and, and be the king of the world, right? Basically in his time, and you could die the next day. Like, who knows? We could store up our kings. Store up our kings? <laughs> we could store up our treasures and build our kingdom. And the next day, we could just get hit by a car. Like, we don't know when we're going to die. We could get COVID and not die because it's 99 point, I won't say. <laughs> no, I'll stop right there. We could die from pneumonia, anything. God knows our days. He has our days numbered. So there we have Alexander the Great that just kept conquering and he was known as Alexander the Great, right? He just kept ruling and taking all he could take and he died at 32. That's young. Who's, is there anyone under 32 in here? You too. So you've got, you still got time to conquer. Oh, so that's the Greek empire with Alexander the Great. And then you have the legs of iron, which was Rome. So Rome conquered the Greek empire in 63 BC. And it's amazing how God had used Rome to prepare for the coming Messiah, right? He had used Rome to dominate um, Jerusalem and dominate not uh, Israel and if you look at all this, this is all Gentile rule, right? So Israel is not free to rule on their own from this time on until uh, Rome took and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. And then you see 
the time clock kind of stopped. And then Israel became a nation again in 1948, right? 1948? Israel became a nation again, and then here we have it start again. So Israel had not been in existence as their own nation from the time of the Roman rule until 1948. So the legs of iron represent Rome and the Roman rule. And just as iron is stronger than all the other metals, the Roman Empire was stronger than any of the previous empires. Rome crushed and conquered all the previous empires that had dominated. And they dominated by strength. They did have armies in iron armor known as the Iron Legions of Rome. So we know that Roman rule was just, they ruled with a strong hand and they were strong, just like iron. Though starting out strong, Rome started to deteriorate and crumble, became progressive weakness and deterioration. And I think of that name progressive. <laughs> progressive becomes weaker and deteriorates over time. We see the movement of progressive Christians or the progressive movement, right? And it just gets weaker and weaker as we go away from God's word. We let the world influence us and become more progressive and think we're becoming more acceptive, accepting, but we actually get weaker and weaker and deteriorate. And there's this guy named, I think we might've spoken about this before, but Carl Zimmerman, he was a sociologist back in the early 1900s who was not a Christian, but his book, Family and Civilization, he describes the de deterioration of each nation or rule throughout history. And he says that it all starts with the family. So in the progressive movement, we see moving away from God's design of family, right? We see, and he says, even in the Roman rule, this is why Rome fell, is because of the deterioration of the family and their morality. It wasn't because they stopped being strong. It was because of their moral deterioration. That's how they became weak, and that's how they crumbled, was through morality. So you have the first stages where the woman likes to dominate the man, right? Like you take the husband and the wife roles, where we see that the woman likes to be the, um, the worker, right? Or the woman wants to be the provider of the family. And we see that a lot today. And then you see the children being affected by that because naturally a woman is the nurturer. Naturally the woman nurtures and the man is, even from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, the one that works the land, the one that works and labors physically. Uh, so then you also see, he also mentions in there that uh, homosexuality becomes a part of the civilization. And that's like one of the last steps before the fall of a nation or the fall of a civilization. And we see that's where we're at today. Like that's, that's history. Like he researched historically how all these things fell. And that was like one of the last steps. So the deterioration of the family unit. And you see less and less people get married today and having kids. 
And then you see homosexuality, which is crazy today. And it's being kind of throughout the whole world, right? It's being accepted throughout the whole world in, a, in most places, not all, but. So that's how Rome fell. <clears throat> Though they were strong, they became weak morally. Then you have the feet of iron and clay. So this is the one that hasn't happened yet, or it, it possibly could have happened. So some have said that in 1957, so this is a few years after Israel became a nation again, that the Treaty of Rome was signed. So basically the feet of iron and clay is Rome revived, right? Basically the way that Rome had ruled is gonna revive and this is the last civilization that happens before Jesus comes back. So, the Treaty of Rome signed in 1957, which is one of the two most important treaties in what is now the European Union. But right now there's 27 members in the European Union, but there's supposedly gonna be 10 nations or kings that will rule in this feat of iron and clay. So if it is the European Union, they'll dwindle to 10. If it's not the European Union, there's something else that's gonna come after. But it is kind of crazy that it's called the Treaty of Rome, right? They had brought back that Roman picture of Rome, which is, had not happened. And that, that was 2000 years ago. Man, crazy, right? And the crazy thing that, about that is, remember that Israel was destroyed and then it came back in 1948. And right after that, here comes the Treaty of Rome. How weird is that? So the time clock had stopped when Israel wasn't a nation, but now it is again. Like, we seriously could be in the last days. We seriously could be. There's reasons to believe that we are, but we also know we might not be. I mean, we know we are in the last days because Jesus said it. The last days have been since Jesus was on the earth. So it could be another thousand years, but it actually could. There are things that show that it could be in our lifetime. Like it really could be. <coughs> so, this is the final rule that will happen over Israel just before Jesus comes back. So the iron represents the, the Roman Empire and its revived state having strength for conquest. But it's mixed with clay representing human weakness and vulnerability. So in this vision, there were 10 toes, right? The two feet, which represents a confederacy of either 10 nations or kings that will rule, but they will fall apart because of human weakness. And I just see how that could just be so true today. <clears throat> how weak the human rule really is when they're just morally deteriorated. I mean, look at our country right now. They, they think they're dominating, but they're seriously really weak right now. And it's, and it's starting to show more and more that they're not even unified in what they're doing. So we can see that this rule, even though it's made up of 10 nations or kings, is gonna be weak. And then later in Daniel 7, 
we see the same picture, but it's a different picture. It's a picture of a beast with 10 horns, and then a little horn comes out of it. So first you see this dream that is given to, to King Nebuchadnezzar, which is of a human. So you see the human rule and the way that maybe us humans look at kingdoms that, oh, they're made of metals, they're so great. Our, our kingdoms on the earth are pretty great. But then you get God's perspective through the vision that he gives Daniel, and he says they're like an ugly beast. These rules from God's view, they're just ugly and beastly, right? But from our view, oh, these kingdoms are great. So it's kind of a good picture to see the two different pictures of man's view and God's view of man's kingdom over other people on the earth. So we'll see later in Daniel 7 that uh, this speaks of the beast with 10 horns. And it's also in Revelation 13 describing a beast with 10 horns and seven heads. So you can correlate Revelation to Daniel in the end times prophecies. It's pretty cool. So we know that here comes the last, the last rule is gonna be, it could be in our time where it's a feet of iron and clay, where there's 10 nations. And then from that point, the Antichrist will be raised up but Jesus is gonna come and destroy it. So then you have this stone that's a picture of Jesus, which is in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And this stone is not cut by human hands. It's from God, it's from God above. And it's Jesus who comes back in his second coming and he shatters Gentile rule over Israel forever and brings in his millennial kingdom. So that's basically this dream in a nutshell. It's a prophecy of the future, and all of it has been fulfilled to a T. Even people who don't believe in the Bible say this is accurate. That's why they try and explain it away. But the last one we have is the revived Roman rule that's mixed. So you take iron and clay, and you put it in a, in a thing and the clay will just break off of it from the iron, right? It's partly strong, but then it's weak, and it's the human weakness that it just crumbles. And then Jesus comes back.